26. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into the one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, Where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, we got used to a lot of things. One of the things we got used to, too, is uh, lots of noise during worship. Helicopters, Cadillacs going by, motorcycles. So parents, I don't want you to feel stressed at all about whatever noise your parents make, your kids make. I know it's more stressful for you. It's more stressful for you. It's not for us. It's music. I don't care if they cry, they make noise, they drop stuff. It's fine. Uh, So let's just move ahead with it. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful. This is a momentous time. Uh, Our hearts have yearned and longed to be back together in this space. Even though we worship you everywhere, this is a mark of something for us. And I pray you would help us to understand it. As we come back together and start a new stage of our body life together, in Christ's name, amen. Um, So I just finished a couple months of uh, rehab, PT, 
which is, you know, this is my uh, fourth time. You don't come here to hear my problems. Okay, so I'm, I, I've been in PT plenty of times. Every now and then I run into a member there. Uh, I try to keep that quiet. We keep it personal. Um, but anyway, you know, when you're in PT, basically what gets you there, that's physical therapy. For those of you that aren't insiders that haven't gone to PT a whole lot, you know, you go into rehab because of the strains and the stresses and the tears. Well, I, I think our body, the body of Christ, needs to get into rehab for a little bit, right? It's been a tough 14 months. It's not just been the pandemic. I mean, it's been a year of lots of pain, upheaval, right? Political, social, cultural, lots of stuff going on. And the body of Christ has felt those strains. We'd be lying if we said we haven't. Everybody has. And, and if you're someone here that is not a Christian and you're looking into the Christian faith, you could assume right off the bat we share this all in common. We're all tired. We're all worn out. We've got a lot of strains. And so we might look at this summer as some rehab time for the body. The good news is, is we have the best trainer in the world, the Holy Spirit. He's done this for a long time. Really good at it. And so hopefully, as we come together, each week, we start to feel the difference that that's making. As we work out, you know, our worship is a big part of our rehab, coming together. And uh, we're looking at a passage and a church that was in need of rehab, the Corinthian church. And, you know, I could talk long about the parallels between the Corinthian church and our church. I mean, the city they were in, the values that their city embraced in, but the church was beat up in part because of the way the values of the culture had come upon the church. I mean, it was a very competitive city. It hosted the Isthmus Games, which were only second to the Olympics. It was just a competitive place. It was a place that had a lot of emphasis upon career. It was a place that had a lot of emphasis on sort of strata. White collar looked down on blue collar. Had a lot of gift idolatry. And the result of that is there were some in the body that didn't feel like they belonged. Felt like they were second-hand citizens, second-class citizens. And one of the things that happens when that happens is division in the body. A group of us were uh, reading Howard Thurman's book, Jesus and the Disinherited. And I, I think the point he makes applies across the board. But he says, basically, one of the things that the disinherited or those on the margins suffer is they're made to believe that they don't have a stake in the social order. They're made to believe that they don't have a place in the community, in the body. It's basically, be grateful that you're in the room and you're allowed to exist, but don't expect to be at the table. And it may be that you have felt that way this year. You felt like, you know, I really wonder if I belong. I wonder if I belong in this community, if I belong in the church, if I have a stake, if I have a place. We need, for that reason, and a whole host of other reasons, we need the Holy Spirit to 
renew and recast our understanding of who we are as a body. All of us need that. And so uh, this passage is actually a great way to kick it off. But this summer, I want to devote the entire summer to us, in a sense, relearning what it's like to have our body functioning in a healthy way. Because we've been out of practice and we've had a lot of wounds and hardship. So I want to talk about today the vision of the body that we should have and the purpose of the body. And that's a long, I'm already going to disappoint you right now and tell you, I'm not going to go into details about all the gifts. Because I don't feel like that's where we're at right now. I don't think you've come here today dying going, I hope he tells me what prophecy is really about. Now it's important, but there are bigger fish to fry and that's a really big passage. I preached on it. It's somewhere in our archives. I, I always feel hesitant to tell people to go to my older sermons because I can't even stand to listen to them. You know, all I knew about this one, it was like, man, oh man, these people had to suffer a long sermon. There was like five pages. You guys are getting two. So be glad. And those of you that have been here a long time, bless you. You know, there's, there's some people here that sat 17 years ago and you don't need to tell me what you think of my preaching, but be glad it's shorter, I think. So kids and adults, some of you might be familiar with this book called My Amazing Body. Has anybody ever read that book, My Amazing Body? Well, I was reading it this week. And uh, the thing that's really cool about this book is it tells us how amazing our bodies are. Now, those of you that are doctors know this. And if you disagree with my facts, you're disagreeing with children's literature. So you just better not do that. Okay, but, you know, a couple things. We're born with 270 bones. And then as we age, they fuse together. You end up with somewhere between 206 and 213. This is the amazing thing. Half of them are in our hands and our feet. That's amazing. That's amazing. In our hands and our feet. Wow, thank you for that. 600 muscles. 600 muscles in your body that stretch and strain. Your heart pumps nearly 2,000 gallons of blood every day. Y'all know what a gallon of milk looks like? Fill your house with 2,000 of those. That's what's going inside your body. And then I think what is most amazing is when you sneeze, it comes out 100 miles per hour. I mean, what else can you say about the body? That's amazing. And I'm not even talking about the things the body can do, right? The things that the mind conceives, space travel, bodies that can run three-day marathons on mountain trails, voices and hands that can make music like our music team makes week after week. And then we could maybe talk about just even the heart and spirit of the body, the invisible parts of the who we are. It's Memorial Day weekend. You think about... What is it that would drive a soldier out into the open to save one of his wounded comrades? One of her wounded comrades. This incredible spirit in the body. But for me, what is most captivating is what's invisible. And that is the thing that makes all that go. Just the life force. The life force. I mean, doctors and scientists can tell us a lot about the conditions for life. 
Like, this is what's got to happen if you're going to live. This is what's going to happen when you die. But that intangible, what is that life force? Now, that is amazing. The body of Christ is more amazing. You are more amazing. Why? Well, it's not so much the size. They come in all shapes and sizes, the body of Christ. Or the strength. You can be the weakest congregation around. Or the talents or the gifts. It's that life force. It's the source. It's the fact that the body of Christ is united to the infinite, eternal, glorious God. The Father, Son, and Spirit. The reason why the body of Christ is amazing because it is the fullness of him who fills it. And so, what wonder is summed up in verse 27, which I don't know if it was in your passage or not. I had to stop it at some point. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. There's a lot in there. I want to point just two things out. One is what the focus of the body of Christ should be, the priority of the body of Christ. Um, Now, I want to see if you can catch, listen closely, kids and adults, and I'm going to read this. You can look at it too, verse 12 and 13, and see if there's a word that tends to get repeated, and maybe we'll get a clue into that. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Was there a word that maybe? One. Way to go. Way to go. And I was adding a little emphasis, but you're right. Right answer. From the future church, the church now and the church in the future. One. I mean, Paul just keeps drilling it. You could go to Jesus' prayer and he does the same thing. I pray that they would be one. Oneness, oneness, oneness. Over and over and over. Now why? Because one of the chief threats to the body is the opposite of oneness. Division. That's why we hear it so much. This is one of the chief threats that we face. Division in the body. Now, uh, you know, autoimmune diseases. Some of you might have them. My family has been riddled with them. And what's an autoimmune disease? Well, it's when your body's immune system, instead of guarding your body, mistakenly attacks it. One of the worst sins and diseases that sin causes is when the body attacks itself. When the members of the body attack itself. It's such a threat. Such a threat. And you know, you don't have to be long in the church, whether it's the history of the church or the American church, where, you know, you've probably experienced it. If you've been in the church or even looked in from the outside. Attacks over maybe doctrine. Here in this passage, baptisms mentioned. Or the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Lots of attacks have happened that way over the church. Or this year there's been a lot 
in terms of political and socio, you know, cultural attacks made across the church still going on. You know, maybe it's about so racial justice, maybe it's about critical race theory, maybe it's about the way a Christian ought to uh, respond to the government and the press. They've just gone on and on, right? And let's be honest, our body hasn't been spared from them. In fact, all of us can probably raise our hand and go, yeah, you know, I've thrown some stones. I've thrown some stones. We're in need of healing. And what might heal? What might help us heal? Well, you know something? I I love the simple. I love when my doctor gives me a simple thing to do. And you know, I think one of the most simple things we can do is just come together and be the body. Because you know something? Unless your whole body functions, you won't heal. And so if we come together and just begin to function together, to move our arms and legs together, we'll begin to heal as we worship together, as we start to be in each other's homes together. I mean, part of the difficulty this year, right, has been not just the trials, but it's been the distance. As much as we'd like to think we're not affected by that proximity, well, we are. And it's there that healing can begin to happen. So you've got the focus of the body, but I also want to mention just the composure of the body. Here, Paul mentions, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Paul inserts, when Paul inserts Jews and Greeks and slave and free, then in Galatians, male and female, he's not casually doing that. When he mentions ethnicity and race, socioeconomic level, gender, what he's saying is the gospel has a lot to say about those things. In fact, evidence of those relationships being transformed is evidence of the gospel of Christ. You find this all through the scripture, especially in the New Testament. It's critical evidence of the oneness of the gospel. And you can see the threat of division. We could go in the New Testament, go to Acts 6, when uh, the Greek-speaking widows said, hey, we're not getting treated like the Hellenists, uh, rather the, the Jewish widows. Or all the time where Paul is talking about what's unclean food and clean food. First of all, you had the Jewish law where they were struggling. Within the Jewish community, there was debates about, well, what is that? And then the Gentiles come in and they've dedicated food to pagan altars and then it comes up again. Or the issue of circumcision, all of it plays into this idea of ethnicity and class and how the gospel transforms those things. The Jewish Christians, they were the hosts, they were the dominant culture. They just presumed when new people came in, they would assimilate. They're going to culturally become Jewish. And then the new people that came in were getting really impatient with that. They started to lose their patience and just sort of come dismissive. Of the body that had been there before. So they needed to remember something. They needed help to heal. And we actually find it in Ephesians, which is almost like a parallel passage. Talks a lot about the body and the gifts like Corinthians. But in it we read, You are fellow citizens built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, 
Christ Jesus is the cornerstone. The Word of God, the Word of God is critical to you and I maintaining our oneness together. Now, the Protestant Reformation said a couple things about God's Word that were really important, and I just want to apply it to the body for a second. First of all, they, they taught we need the Word, the necessity of the Word. We need the Word if we're going to be able to be one body together. The second thing that they said was that the Word is enough. Meaning, God gives us everything we need to be the body in the Word. And then the last one would be clarity of the Word, and that is this. The most vital things that you and I need to be the body and to be one together are revealed in Scripture. And that gives us a lot of help, especially as we wrestle with the stresses and strains and the the division. And and there's a couple things I was thinking about. Well, how, how would this apply to us? How could it apply to me, to apply to you as I deal with? Because part of the thing we, at least we've dealt with this year, and even if there weren't a pandemic, I think to some level we would have dealt with it, is, you know, there's lots of complex questions, aren't there? I mean, lots of issues, whether you talk about racial justice, whether you talk about the way the government interfaces with the church and, you know, issues about should the church still be worshiping. There are some churches that said, hey, you're being an unfaithful church if you did what we did. Other churches would say, you're being crazy right now for meeting. Right? There's a lot of complex questions. How do we begin to deal with it? Well, I've just told you, unless God is unfaithful, unless he doesn't love his body, unless he didn't build his body right, he gave us what we need. That with a humble Holy Spirit heart, we can arrive at the consensus we need to be one together. And that's just a word of hope. Because, man, I, you know, it gets hopeless. Doesn't it? I don't care where you come from in your opinion. At times you're probably just like, man, I'm just tired out. So a couple of things I think it leads me to ask questions to myself. One is, the more strongly I hold an opinion, the more closely I need to be able to justify it in the word of God. I need to be able to say, you know, the, the, the stronger my conviction is on something, it ought to be more clearly seen and evident In the word of God. The second thing is. My conviction. Ought to. Not ebb and flow. It ought to gradate. It ought to change based on clarity. Meaning the more clear something is. That's where you put your conviction. The less clear it is. You know one of the things we all can do. And some personalities I think are more. Prone to it. Meaning. Well, I'll give you an example. When we were talking about having women deaconess in our church, and I can't go into all the things there. That's another whole thing. But I, I remember talking to a, this was 17 years ago, and I talked to a, a, a guy in the presbytery, and he's very smart, very theological, and I purposely wanted to test my theory with him. Uh, punchline, he didn't agree with me, okay? But that's Okay. Our standards allow for what we got going here. So, but here's what he said. One point I was listening, listening, he said, uh, but if you go ahead and do that, you had added to offices of the church. You would have did this, 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 he said three things. And then he said, and that will be the downfall of the Lord's church. And I was like, wow, 
I mean, just in a very short time, we went from here to here. There was no gradation, right? And all of us can have that tendency. If this, if this, baptism, it's mentioned in the passage. What's clear? The command to baptize, Jesus gave in himself. What's less clear? How we do it. Sprinkle, dunk, the words that should be said before the baptism. We know Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You start to get into what does it actually mean, a little less clear. And so, our church has always existed with people with different opinions, as it should be. So, if, if you're going to say, Glenn, how strong should your conviction be on the commandment of baptism? I would say, very strong, very high. But then at that point, we need to start going like this, don't we? And so each of us, as we think through our convictions and opinions, you got to be able to do that. This was the problem with the religious leaders. Jesus said, you cannot weigh out lesser and greater things. So Christ helps you and I do that. But the third one, and this is the kicker. Oh, by the way, here's a test. If the global historical church hasn't considered it to be vital, you might want to think twice. So if the thing that you feel like you would divide the body over, and, I, and I, again, I want to confess, in a couple of weeks I'm going to go to our national meeting where all the teaching and ruling elders show up. It's called General Assembly. And I would love to tell you that I got my arm around everybody and how many times you could look into my heart and I would think every time a vote doesn't go my way to go, I wish these people would just go form a new denomination. I wish they would just leave. We all have that tendency, right? But you and I don't have the authority, surprise, maybe disappointment, to excommunicate people based on our opinions. We don't. I don't have the authority to go, you, out. You, stay. But here's the kicker. Even if we believe the thing is vital, it doesn't get us off the love hook. Because love is primary. So even if you've got your arm around the right truth, the right vital thing. Ephesians, as it talks about the body in the building, it says speaking the truth in love. You and I, think about the person or persons that really bug you. Where you struggle with having unity. And then think of the father saying, I gave up my beloved son for them. Think of Jesus saying, I spilt my blood and went to hell and back for them. The Holy Spirit going, I live in them 24-7. If you and I do that, we start to see ourselves in them, right? And I, I know it's really hard, but the stronger conviction we have, the stronger our love has to match it. And the way this really shows up is, and, and this is the gutsy thing to do, I locate the one person in the room who I really have disagreement with. And I say, I'm going to start to get to know them. Now, don't tell them that on the front end. You know, you know listen, maybe you can, maybe you're that frank. Listen, you and I both know we're miles apart, but we're not off the love hook and I'm willing to at least hear. I promise at the end I might not agree with you, but I'll still call you brother and sister. So, i got to wrap this up. I <laughs> talked about short preaching. i got two points. I'll try to wrap these, make it, make it faster. 
Not only the vision of the body, the purpose of the body. Okay? Uh, not like, uh, well, let me just skip to this point. I'm editing, in case you were hoping. I am cutting out sections of this thing, okay? So, when the Nats won the World Series, remember when that was, right? When the Nats won the World Series, Scherzer said, you saw a group of guys come together like you've never seen before. Now, this is not unusual, right? The people that win team sports... The teams that win team sports are the teams that excel at teamwork, right? Just makes sense. My friends, the Christian faith is a team sport. It's a team sport. There's no way to actually excel excel and have victory apart from the team working together. Um. Ephesians again. Well, first let me say this. It's not just us having this vision, oh, generally we're a team. Okay? The mature person, this is what we need. We want more and more of us doing this. Okay, let me, let me put it this way. Have you ever been on a work retreat or a school retreat and you had to do team building exercises? Right, And you can look around and there's always like the dominant personalities that are in and then there's a couple people over here being sarcastic and a couple are like, I hope I don't have to get on that guy's shoulders and all sorts of stuff. But the, the, the real leader, the mark of a leader is to be able to look around the room and see who needs pulled in. Who's not functioning on the team, Right? That's a mark of a leader in the body of Christ. If you regard yourself as a leader, want to be a leader, that one of the top things you'll do for the body of Christ is you will look around and go, who seems like they're on the margins? Who feels like they're not in? Because I want them to begin. Because it isn't just a, a feel-good, nice thing. We cannot win. We cannot excel unless all the parts are functioning. In Ephesians, it says, when every part of the body is functioning... I'm trying to relearn golf right now. Actually learn golf, because I could never play it when I knew it back then. And the hardest thing in the world is getting my body to cooperate. It's just so, why is it so hard? You know, by the time I get this thing right, I've got this thing wrong. You know, by the time I realize I got my uh, lining up right, I'm swinging too hard. By the time I realize my, my head lifts up. You know, it's hard to get things cooperating. It takes work in the body to get things cooperating. But there's power from God. And this is where I'm going to close things out here. I do want to say, what does that look like, cooperation? We're told when we're, uh, it says that there be, may be no division in the body, That the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That's a taste of what it looks like when we're cooperating. But we need power. We need power for this. And this is a really cool insight I came upon while I was studying this. So, it's this. Now, in the ancient world, when kings would win a victory, they would give gifts and spoils to those, their subjects. And so this is what 
the scripture is teaching. The scripture is teaching when Jesus ascended to heaven after winning his victory on the cross and sat down on the throne. When Jesus ascended and then the spirit descended and spread gifts out, it was a sign of Jesus' triumph and victory. So what I'm saying is the body of Christ and the gifts of Christ are a sign of power and triumph and victory. This is, this is you know, uh, the World Series card. The church, believe it or not. This is powerful just because Jesus has formed it and he's given gifts. But what is the power for? Listen to this. What is the victory for? He gave gifts for building up the body from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow. Hear this. Makes the body grow. So it builds itself up in love. Love. That is the purpose of this whole thing. That is the victory. And so, let me close. And by the way, this love in our passage, he refers to as the same spirit that produces the common good. Because good flows out of love. But let me end you, let me give you three things to think about. First of all this, if you are feeling powerless right now, if you are feeling powerless about the culture, about the nation, about the church, the most powerful thing you have is love. It's not your wit. It's not your arguments. It's not the data you have. It's all that stuff is wonderful gifts. But the most powerful thing you wield is love. If you want to see change, love people. That's the only way that people change, meaningfully change. The second thing is this. We must win the battle of love in here before we can ever win it out there. We just can't. Whatever aspirations we have for our city, the world, the nation, we must win. Jesus said, by this will everybody know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. That's the purpose why we're working together. That's the victory we have to play. And so... The third one and the last one is this. As we come back together on the project of love and we seek to have the power of God work and heal and bring our body together. I want to ask you to make it your express purpose to build people up. To build them up in love. I was... um, sharing with um, one of the elders a struggle I was having in my marriage. And he had said, yeah, you know, and he was sharing about struggles that he had. And he said, but, you know, something happened like a year ago. We, got, we had this heart-to-heart talk, and we decided that we were going to encourage each other. Like we were intentionally going to wake up and go, I, instead of complaining or going, why don't you do this, 
we're going to really seek to build the other person up. And he said, man, the change. I thought, well, that's our marriage here. That's the body of Christ. So uh, I'm just filled with such joy that we can be together like this. Uh, It's been a hard, unprecedented time. I'll tell you, and if you're feeling like you didn't love well enough and you got sideways and all that stuff, just stop beating up yourself. You know, trials are ugly. It's hard. Jesus loves his church. He's faithful to this church. New beginnings happen every second. There, one just happened. Here's another one. How many do you need? I need a whole lot. Our church needs a whole lot. So let's pray. God, we're grateful for this mandate, this calling you've given us to be your body. We know you love this church. Uh, We love one another. You've brought us together. We're we're one, uh, one little aspect of your bigger body, but this isn't by chance. You've called us together. Work your will and your spirit in Christ's name. Amen.